What a great song. Our love tends to grow cold. He must hold us. He will hold us. What a great thought. Thank you, Jason. Always perfect. Jason's making the film to send to the churches about support, and I did a little bit this week, and I forgot to put a part in, so if we need to edit, we can, Jason, but God often calls our very best, doesn't he? So we're praying for them and see what the Lord's going to do. This morning, I want to look at John chapter 5. Last week, we looked at finding the will of God. This morning, I want to talk about doing the will of God. John chapter 5, I'm going to read, and then we'll pray. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, Who's the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. For there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But when he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son of man can do nothing of himself lest it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the man does, for whatever the Father does, these the Son does also in like manner. For who the Father loves, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we're so thankful that you hold us fast, that you are a shepherd that even in the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear because you're with us. 
But Lord, often we just get this idea that you saved us for what we can do for you and we neglect walking with you and knowing you. Oh Lord, that we might seek for your will. Lord, use the word in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We can get hooked up because we are such a self-focused people on what is the will of God for me when really the question should be, what is God's will? What is God's will? What did Jesus do? Here we have great superstition. We don't believe that an angel came down and stirred the waters. What kind of God is that? Oop, too late. No, lay here some more. He'd been sick 38 years. He probably hadn't been laying there 38 years, but this place was full of sick people, lame people, blind people. We believe it was a mineral pool. Today, when you go, because of the stacking of cultures on one another, you can go to the place we think this pool was, but it's way down there. It was, we believe, some muddy red mineral water, and every once in a while it would bubble up just like mineral pools do. And so the superstition said, well, that's an angel stirring the water. And so I don't know what happened, but over the years, somebody said, if you can get there first, you'll get healed. So this man laid there, hopeless, helpless, and lost in superstition. And here came Jesus, seeking for him. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That Jesus never misses anyone he sets his affection upon. Not one. The place was full of sick people. He came to heal that one that day. He came to ask the question, would you be made well? And he threw out his religion. Well, I've been doing this religion, laying here all these years, and I just don't have any help. Somebody always steps in front of me. When I begin to get going and just before I get there, somebody steps in before me. So I've got to hear, lay here and wait for a long time till maybe it stirs again. Did anybody ever get healed? Probably not. It's amazing what people put their hope in. So Jesus commands him, stand up, take up your bed and walk. And he was healed. Now, I don't know, looking at the text, if he got saved or not. When Jesus was coming on the last journey up to Jerusalem for, to offer himself on the cross, one place he healed ten lepers. Only one returned him, turned and worshipped him. Only one out of ten. They all got healed. Not everybody Jesus healed became a follower. Just because you're doing God's will doesn't mean everybody's going to like it. That's always kind of amazing to me. Somebody, he heals the blind man in John 9. Why aren't they just amazed? Because of their blind rebellion, all they can do is hate. Instead of the Pharisees seeing this guy and going, whoa, what happened to you? It was, how come you're carrying your bed? Jerusalem was full of people that were injured and sick, blind and lame. And this is one of the places you'd find them all. 
but he'd been there long enough. They knew who he was, and they were not amazed at God's power. Stephen preached the gospel, and he died by stoning. I think, well, did God do that? I think if you ask Stephen, he felt like he got to go out in a blaze of glory. That was exactly what God was doing. We do what God has called us to do, what he's gifted to do, and what he's doing in spite of what the results are, in spite of what other people think, in spite of even the harvest. In Acts chapter 4, we see this man who's laying at the temple gate. He's laid there for years. And Peter and John come up and they see him and they said, would you get well? And he said, he wanted silver and gold. They said, we don't have any of that, but what we have, we've given to you. Take up your bed and walk. Now, Jesus probably had gone by that same man many times, but it wasn't God's time. When he healed the man that was born blind, the disciples said, well, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, it wasn't because of sin, it was for the glory of God. We often look at things wrong, don't we? So Jesus came to seek and to save those that were lost. He went that day to heal that man. He did it on the Sabbath day on purpose to try to stir up the religious leaders who were dead in their trespasses and sins to get them to think because he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Now God had said in the rule, in the rules and in, in the law, that if your animal falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, you don't have to leave him there till the next day. You can go get him out so he doesn't die. Did God care more about beasts than he did about human beings? But that was the problem. They were blind. So Jesus did what he did because why? Because God told him to do it. In verses 19, we have the question, well, then how did Jesus know what to do? Have you ever wondered why Jesus prayed? He was God. Why did he pray? And yet he would spend all night in prayer before he chose the disciples. It said often Jesus would go by himself and spend the night in prayer. After he fed the 5,000, he left, went by himself. He sent the disciples across the lake and he went and prayed. And then he came and he walked on the water. He saved Peter from drowning. The next day, the people found him. And they said, we want the bread of heaven. And he offered the bread of heaven. And he said, I'm the bread of heaven. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And it says they all went away. And he looked at the disciples with a heavy heart and said, are you going to go away too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? Thou hast the words of life. And then he explained to them, the words that I speak to you, they're spiritual and they're truth. He was talking about his substitutionary atonement. But Jesus was always in prayer. Why is that? Verse 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. 
Jesus never set out to have a big, huge, audacious goal. He never set out to do his own ministry, to try to think something really big to impress the Father. And yet, we see all kind of that in Christian literature. Get a really big, huge goal. Set some goals so you hit the mark. Because if you don't aim at something, you won't hit anything. And yet, Jesus lays it out. How ministry is supposed to be done. How do we do the will of God? By finding out what God is doing. And then join him there. God is always at work around us. What is he doing? Jesus spent time in prayer. I think the Father communicated him, tomorrow you're going to go and you're going to heal this one. And it's going to stir up some problems. Have you ever wondered why? Jesus always had those answers when they attacked and were so pointed and so just right. How many times do people question us and later as we're communicating that with another brother, we think, oh, I wish I would have known that. I wish I'd have had that answer right then, and we don't. Jesus did. When they confront him about taxes, we're supposed to pay the temple tax. They want to catch him. We're supposed to pay your taxes to Rome. They want to make him look like a troublemaker. So he says, what? Give me a coin. Give him a coin. Whose, whose face is on there? Caesar's. So give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. What a simple, amazing answer. Simple, but profound. How come? Because he spent time with the Father. Why did he have to do that? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in these things, pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he was suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus was our example. On Easter, we looked at Philippians chapter 2. The, humi the humiliation, how Jesus humbled himself from being the creator God, the star breather, to being our substitutionary atonement on the cross. In doing that, he showed us how to live. The next verse, verse 20, shows how he was absolutely dependent. Not only was he dependent on God to see what God was doing and then join him, but he was dependent on him in his relationship. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. God is more interested in a relationship with you than he is in what you do for him. What you do. And that's why sometimes we think we know where God's going and then all of a sudden we find out, oh, that wasn't right. Isn't it amazing that Jesus spent all night in prayer and we say, oh, I got this. I don't have to pray about this. Oh, no, I know how this goes. Oh, yeah, here's what we do. Here's what I did before. Now, in knowing God, I will tell you this, that as you get to know God, you will get to know more how he works and you'll recognize. Jesus didn't say, I'll tell you the way, the truth, and the life. He said what? I am 
the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I don't know if you've been in a big city and you have direction. Remember the days when you had to just use a map before GPS? You had to look at the map and say, and your wife is looking at what street. Oh, we missed the street. And so there's a sense of, of kind of nervousness and fear until you actually arrive at the address, especially in a big city you're not familiar with. And then we got GPS. But you know what I really love as a dad? Going all over the world and being where my sons are and they take us and show us places. I don't worry about getting there. Why? Because I'm with them. And they've been there before. Often we get full of fear in the journey because we think we're being obedient and we are and all of a sudden bad things start to happen. The pressure comes and we think, Lord, what are you doing? And we look around and we begin to blame people because that's the first thing we do. Well, if they'd have done this right, but no, listen, God could have avoided that. He could have avoided this situation. What is God doing? Now, Jesus said this, all you that are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You'll find rest to your soul. What a place of peace. Say, I don't know what God is doing right now, but I know he's the one holding my hand. So many times we get ourselves into messes because of our own sin, our own willfulness, our own desire. But here's the good news. Your shepherd doesn't expect you to get out of it yourself either. He's there to hold you fast, to lead you. He's there to guide you. Henry Blackaby tells about pastoring up in Canada and a farmer told him how to get to his place. And he said, you go two miles here and then turn at the big oak tree, then go another mile and turn to this big rock. And then he was so relieved when he finally got there. But one time he was riding with a farmer. They went a completely different way and he never even thought about it. Why? Because the farmer was driving. He knew the way. God knows what he's doing. Jesus was dependent on the Father. What should we be? You got to figure it out. You need to understand that fear, anxiety, worry, those are just alarms. Just an alarm. You don't have to stay there. You can stress out if you want. You could be anxious if you want, but you don't have to be. And that's why Jesus said, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Keep your eyes on him. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll give you a straight path. God cares more about what he's trying to accomplish than you do, so it makes sense to walk with him. And if in your life you begin to be frustrated because you think, I'm not accomplishing all that I want to because you've got this set of goals, you can relax. It was an amazing thing to experience when we built our church building. And people would say, oh, when you build a building, you can expect a church split. We didn't experience that. What we experienced was fellowship and camaraderie and discipleship. Why? Because as a people, we had no strength and we didn't have much money. And so we had to totally depend upon him for every step of the way. 
Every step, how many times we discerned at the beginning, we will begin because God has called us. We prayed and prayed until we finally got, just as a testimony, we have an ark full of prints that we didn't build because we kept thinking, what do we need? What do we need? What do we need? We finally said, hold it. What does God want? And we prayed. And it's out there in the foyer, a little piece of brown paper that's framed. And one day I was sitting down there with my brother at altitude and I said, John, just draw us a country church with the crayons at altitude. He drew that. I said, that's it. Took it to the elders and they said, yep, we're building that. And then add that wing on over there with a basement. And so we began to build. We sold our building downtown. We saved our money. We purchased the land. It was paid off. And so finally we had the money. We all showed up the one day we worked all day, all day long, right? Putting steel in the form for the basement. And we got the basement up. We were so excited. We got a top on it. Sometimes in the winter, we couldn't stand it. We have to come in and have prayer meetings. So we had one of those great big blower heaters down there. And it was freezing on the roof. And then it thawed, drip on us. We couldn't hear each other. We were so excited. We were, we were praying in our building. And how many times it looked like all of a sudden we're going to have to stop. So we'd stop and wait on the Lord. And what we would do, we'd have prayer nights. Sometimes we'd pray all night. See, it's easier when you have nothing to depend on the Lord. It's when we get things that we think, oh, well, we got this. We don't have to pray as much. We got this. We've got this figured out. And God calls us back into relationship, and he says, listen, let's just do this. We think, well, just do something, even if it's wrong, do something. And that's not what the Bible says. Isaiah 40 says, wait on the Lord. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Sometimes it's waiting on the Lord. We say, well, all I can do is pray. No, my friend, that, that is the best thing you can do. What is God doing? Because he's never going to leave you alone. He loves you just like he loved the son and he wants to say to you one day, well done, you were faithful. Do you want that or do you think you have it figured out? Do you have this? You got it? In all the things we do, we should be acknowledging him. So simple and yet so, dig so difficult because we just think we've got this. And you know what I think? I have a new theory developing that there are so many believers that are just fans they are just spectators. And so they don't expect anything supernatural. God's kind of left you to figure it out, and so you got to work this plan, and you got this policy, and you have these things you do, and you're heading this way, and building your career, and doing all these things. And you're getting anxious, and you look around, the government's not helping, the world stands against you, and you're getting discouraged. When the Bible says that the shepherd has prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. A banquet. No matter what the world says, God's not intimidated by the world and he's going to accomplish what he saved you for. But are you listening? How many opportunities do we miss? The next verses say we need to depend upon him when it comes to our evangelism. You have lost friends, verse 21 for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. 
For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Churches, conventions tend to try things, and once something works someplace, then they put it all together, manufacture, and this is the program everybody's going to do. But see, Jesus is the one that went and found the one at the pool, and all those sick people, the one. He didn't have an idea who Jesus was. Even after he was healed, he didn't know who Jesus was. He was so self-centered, he didn't get it even after he was healed. But Jesus came to find him. He would have identified with the Psalm 142.4 that says, No man cares for my soul. I have no one. He didn't even know he had Jesus. See, you can't see how God is working in a life. You can't see it. They may look like they have everything figured out. They may have even told you before, don't talk about Jesus to me. I don't want to hear it. But remember, God's not intimidated by that. He is the hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. He knows how to get them to the place where they'll listen to your question. And they may say, oh, no, I have my religion. I am just struggle a little bit, but I have my religion. Don't worry about that. Did you notice that Jesus didn't take time to straighten him out on this little fairy tale that was going on there, this, this little story that nobody ever got healed, really? He didn't say, listen, it's just muddy mineral water. The Bible says he didn't break the bruised reed. He didn't quench the smoking flax. He just healed him. You can't look at a person and know what God's doing in their heart. But you can listen to your Father. You can listen to the Holy Spirit and give Him a word. You can just sow the seed. But often we miss those opportunities, don't we? And it's after we get by. God in His grace shows you, hey, you missed a great opportunity. That was an open door. Why do we miss them? Because we're on our own. We're not talking to the Lord. We're not praying. But you don't have to miss the next one. And maybe it's just a seed, just a word. Now, often there are some people that think it's all about them, and so all of a sudden they get an opportunity to witness, they dump the whole book of Romans on somebody, and they, you know. If you're walking with the Lord, you know when to speak and when to be quiet. Maybe all they need, maybe all the Lord needed you to do that day is, listen, could I pray for you right now? The Bible says, be ready always to give an answer to him that asks you of the hope that lies within you. And sometimes, most of the time, that's going to happen when you're going through a trial. And what do they see in your life? They see peace. And they say, how can you have peace? Oh, well, let me tell you how I can have peace. And maybe that's all you give them right now. Remember, God never misses one. That takes all of the anxiety out of people going to hell. But the problem is we can get so overwhelmed that the whole world is lost that we miss the opportunity to share with one. God knows who he's working. And if we'll talk to him, we'll know where to go. And if you're walking with him, he ministered to us how? By his peace, by his word, by open doors, and by listening when we're supposed to be quiet. He knows what he's doing. We can trust him. So when people say, well, all I could do is pray. No, no, my friend, that is the best thing because 
That's walking with the God breather. I mean, the star breather, the creator, the one who knows how to give life to people. We talk about the sovereignty of God. Sometimes people put everybody that believes in the sovereignty of God over in a corner and they say, oh, you just believe that God's going to save whoever's going to get saved and so I don't have to do anything. No, that's not what I believe. John Piper said, we believe our God is sovereign and that he's the king and he's able to touch a cold heart and cause them to want to know him. And so if we're on the same page, God wants to join him in what he's doing. And so he puts on your heart to pray for somebody. My friend Dave Garrett, who's with the Lord now, Pastor Garrett was in a serious car accident. A semi just kind of ran over the top of his Buick and kept going. I don't know how you do that, but he did. And he was seriously injured. And while he was getting better, one night he was laying in the hospital, or in the morning, he was so weary and so much in pain, he said, I couldn't even pray for myself. And Pastor Bob Jackson, at the other assembly of God, woke up in the middle of the night, did not even know that Dave had been in an accident, and began to pray for Dave Garrett. See, later when they got together, they began to talk about those things. And what were they encouraged by? Could God not have given Dave strength without waking Bob up? Of course he could. But God wants to call us into partnership so we can see what God is doing so that our worship increases. You see, if I get a big goal, you get a big goal, we accomplish our goal, who gets the glory? God is not waiting around for you to think up a good plan for your life and then have him sign it on the bottom. And again, as you're coming up to graduation, some of you seniors, the biggest thing in your mind should not be where the job is. It should be, what is God doing? Where's my place working for him? Lastly, we are dependent on God in worship. So all that will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. God has called every one of us to a life of worship. There's not like worship on Sunday morning, your job, and then the opportunities you get to witness. It's all worship. So Paul challenged those in Romans after all of the doctrine of salvation. I beseech you therefore, brethren, because of God's mercy, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual service of worship all of your life. And what they see in your life give God, gives God glory or does it give you glory? talking to a fellow a long time. He said, I don't even know why I don't want to go to church. I said, well, I think it's because you're not saved. What does it take to pull you away from worship? Oh, we got this going, got that going. Hey, we'll get there when we get there. A nod to God. Nod to God, and then I can get what I want out of life. And the problem is that it's not just as bad. You're going to miss on the joy. Working where God is at is where the power of life is. It's where the power of life is because you're going to hit the wall even when you're serving God. Everybody's not going to love it because you're doing God's will. And you need the strength to know, nope, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Like when we had the building, this the basement build, we had a top on it, and people would say, what are you guys doing out there? They're like a water retention. Was it a bomb shelter? And what God did during those times was teach us to say, First, through clenched teeth, 
When are you going to be done? When God says so. Later, come to the place by the time we were in here and we had just the steeple left. And people said, we can put that steeple up. When God wants to. We have seen him work because we walked with him through it, didn't we? You walk with God. How come after you're married a long time, you just kind of know what you think your wife or your husband is thinking? Because you know them. But if you love them, you still check in, don't you? You get to know how God works by your experience with him. But it doesn't mean you don't have to talk to him anymore. And lastly, he gives an invitation, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. I know that every week there are people that come to church here and you pass back out and you say, let me think about this some more. Because in your mind, you think that judgment is coming. And so you want to make sure you think about these things and you know the facts of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world and he rose again. And and you're going to think about that. And you really know you need to make that decision before you die. The problem is you don't know when you're going to die. And judgment's not coming when you die. Jesus said you're already under judgment because you have not submitted to the Son. You see, when we come to Christ, we give him our life, don't we? He becomes our Lord and Savior, our master. We are not our own because we are bought with a price. And so maybe you're outside of grace still and you're saying, well, I'm still my own. I got things to figure out because you don't know what you're missing. And you don't know that every day your feet walk in slippery places and those that reject Christ go suddenly down to destruction. Because eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And right now, outside of grace, you're without a shepherd. You're on your own. You have no protection. You're going to do what Satan wants. And the Bible says he's the prince in the power of the air still today. And he hates everything God created. So why don't you leave destruction and come to safety find a shepherd what does that take believe on him the bible says whoever will call upon the name of the lord shall be saved father we thank you that you love us that you're always working in this world and we as believers we as a church we don't have to try to figure out a big idea for ourselves. or we just need to walk with you. Lord, I pray that we would not be forgetful hearers, but we'd allow the Holy Spirit to examine our own life when we start getting stressed or anxious about what we think we're supposed to be accomplishing or, or a big challenge or a trial that's coming up, that we would rest in you because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And that's where there's rest for our souls. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.